Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Echelon Cycling Podcast, where three cycling nerds discuss what's been happening in the week and a week of cycling, and we look ahead to future events, of course, as well. As always, I'm joined by Mr. Critical himself, Ewan Wilson, and also the man who spent his <laughs> week in Scotland skiing for some reason, Patrick Blake of Audi Cycling. Scott. Every decision I made this week. <laughs> there you go. How is skiing in Scotland? <laughs> I'm not literally... France, not Andorra, not not Norway. No, no, because I had I wish I'm trying to come up with some random. I'm stalling for an excuse, but I just don't have one. I just I really don't. Yeah, I should have been with Scott. I should have been interviewing Max Pool, but here we are. Bad decisions were made. I did an interview with uh, Fabio Jakobsen as well. That's available over on the Cycling Day and Extra or on the podcast and exclusive here on this Echelon Cycling Podcast. Not on, on here on YouTube, but on the podcast itself, we actually have a Remco Venipol interview about the 2024 season available now. So check that out if you haven't already. But Tour Down Under, we might as well start there. Oh, it's started already. We've had the criteria. We have the women's race that's finished as well. And uh, yeah, what have you thought of this so far? It's relieving, actually, to get finally sort of make it. I think that the Tour Down Under is the start of the season. I don't care what other people think. I think it is. The women's race kind of kicking it off, I think is good. It kind of gives it its time in the sun. And then the men's race gets its kind of separate time. Yeah, the crit, everyone nicely reading into a, a one-hour crit result as to how how things are going to play out. But it, it, it was an interesting crit. Del Toro finishing third was arguably one of the people care more about Del Toro finishing third than Navarra's winning it's kind of eclipsed everything else uh what else happened in that luke platt didn't finish it caleb ewan didn't start it which is also question i have no idea why people say that platt's fine i don't know why caleb ewan didn't do it probably because it's a crit and he didn't want to crash ahead of the tour down under where he's probably expecting to go quite well but yeah, the women's race was actually quite good, so I've got some pretty high expectations for the men's. Yeah, the women's race was was good. A couple of like cool winners as well we got out of that race. It was a good week for the AG Insurance team. They got two wins out of it from the New Zealand champion, Wallston, and then from... I always struggle on how to pronounce Giganti Gigant Giandes name. Uh, she's Australian, so yes, selfishly frustrated that she won today, so she has to be brought up. But she won the overall, and what I think is quite laughable the fact that there's only three stages for the women's, given that they give it a whole like sort of period to itself, and there's only three stages. The men's race is short on it, like anyway, but the women's race is like inexplicably short, and it all comes down to that final stage where like we could have another couple of days, even like a, a like a, like a criterium style race as well. Uh, for the women to, uh, to bring all together. Even like a time trial, women don't really have time trials in their calendar. Uh, if, we could, if we could throw that one in just to spice it up a little bit, that would be uh, that would be really cool. But in the men's side, yeah, that, that criterion was, was really interesting. The revise, I think, is actually a criminally underrated writer. That's one of my, it's my first hot take of the week. I think he's um, he's super versatile, very underestimated. Can be right up there in the classics. Um, he's actually a pretty good sprinter as well. Could be top twenty on like a sort of Giro sprint stage, and he can climb pretty well. He's been a valiant teammate for other riders, so it was good to see him get his uh, time in the sun. 
Also a great result for Lido Trek to come in second place there. But I mean, Isad Del Toro finishing third is the big headline grabber here uh, in his first race. And he was so happy for Navias in the end. If if you watch the, the, the footage, he's sort of celebrating instantly after line with Navias. I don't know if these two knew each other beforehand. They, they both speak Spanish. They were probably talking at the breakaway beforehand. It was definitely nice to see them. Amped up for should be a pretty good opening week to the men's world tour. Although, I mean, time zones always make it difficult. And uh, the new broadcasting... Uh, situation in the cycling world also makes it a little bit more frustrating. I'm holding out for this weird hope that GCM Plus will just miraculously return. I don't think it will. No, I don't know. It's just... But let me manifest. Let me let me manifest this. Um, let me light a black candle. Paracircle, Paracircle. GCN return. That's so good. It's like, you, you don't know what you got until it's gone. Yeah. It was actually quite underrated. So the price it was. The Discovery Overlords didn't want it. Tore down under, we talked about it last week, and we'll talk about it next week, of course, as well. In terms of cyclocross, obviously, we've had it's still a cyclocross. Uh, Ewan, you can you can take a nap. Yeah, we had the national championships, but none of the big dogs really in action in terms of the big three. Uh, you had Eli Isabit winning the men's in terms of the Belgian. You had uh, Jordi Newhouse actually becoming Dutch champion as well, beating Pim Ronhard and Lars van der Haar. Oh yeah, Cam Racing. Did you win both the under-23 and the men's then? Yeah, I mean, we've got, we got to keep we've got to keep mentioning his name. It's, it's what keeps you in going through cyclocross is the mentioning. I also want to point out Sanna Kant in Belgium uh, won the Women's National Championship with a broken nose. I think she just... won it like a lot. I, I guess this is like a 15th one. In yeah, a... exactly. She's like insane. I don't think I've lived in a world where Sanna Kant has not been at the top of the women's game in cyclocross. So um, that's a bit of a changing of the guard that uh, in terms of sort of that big name leaving, uh, I can't even think of a word, the forum, whatever. The Coliseum of women's cycling. When you think about women's cyclocross, a lot of Dutch names spring to mind, and you think Belgian, Belgians. And it's kind of like you have to kind of scroll down a little bit, find the Belgians. The, the women's cyclocross scene from a Dutch perspective is so dominant that, yeah, sometimes the Belgian actually goes a little bit under the radar. So it's good to see that Sycal got the result. I'll be interested to see. Who kind of takes up that mantle as like the queen of cyclocross in kind of the women's side in Belgium after she's gone? I don't know who it'll be. I can't think the name's not springing to mind, but it'll be good to see who kind of who takes up that mantle. In the Danish championships, it was Daniel Nielsen who won. 18 years old winning the senior, and then Albert Philipsen taking the juniors title. But yeah, wasn't in the seniors. So oh, it's washed. <laughs> wow. I mean, Danish cyclocross isn't exactly something that lights cyclocross on fire, but... They did host double championships. Yeah, yeah, which much wonderful one. Which one doesn't he win? But, I mean, anything else to add on the national championships? Clermont Vodtorini comes and does his, like, token five cyclocross races a year and claims the French national championship. Yeah, well, anyways, um, Macho Van der Poel. We might as well segue onto that. And Ewan, what's the story with Macho Van der Poel this week? Um, he's winning in cyclocross. It's well, technically, no. No, he <laughs> no, he's not. <laughs> oh, okay, this story, yes. Um, that's, that's the story. He didn't win a cyclocross race. Just got back from a three, four-hour journey, just about 10 minutes before this podcast. 
I have not reset my brain. Mike Vanderpool is has announced and teased that he will not be going to the Tour de France next year. This follows a similar announcement that we got from Wild Venata a couple months back, where they're skipping the Tour de France in order to target the Olympic Games and other goals in the summer. Similarly, as well, Junard Lafilippe has also revealed that he will probably be skipping the Tour de France next year as well. So quite a few sort of regular sort of shoe-ins for the Tour de France will be missing out in Wout. Uh, Julien Mathieu. Mathieu Van der Poel hasn't actually won a stage since 2021 in the Tour de France. And yeah, you can throw the asterisk well, on. But I mean, the person who's going to hate this is Jasper Philipsen. He's going to not have his best lead out, man. He was absolutely destroying all the other teams. That is true. That is very, very true. And um, he will be the person who's missing out. But I think Philipsen on his own, like we saw that he is probably the best sprinter. And although that final stage when Jordi Maus won, it was a little bit different. But um, I think Philipsen couldn't work with a fan of Paul. We saw that in 2022 with his two stage wins in the second half of that race. My prediction of Christophe Laporte winning green is looking better and better by the day. See, people called me crazy. And I think that it's going to work out just fine. And also, there's just no... Like Van der Poel missing Tbilia for the Olympics. Do you rate that or not? The world champion as well. When's the last time we had a world champion miss the race? Oh, Julien Philippe? Yeah. Even oh, it was, yeah, yeah, true. <laughs> yeah, yeah, rim check, yeah. <laughs> I think I raced about for the whole of like June. Oh, yeah, true, yeah. <laughs> that was no random thing we were, yeah, oops. <laughs> We haven't had a world champion at the Tour de France since 2021. Yeah, true. Yeah. But Van der Poel is rumored to be going to the Vuelta. That'll be cool to see him try to go for a stage with that. I just don't care about the Vuelta. <laughs> it doesn't feel very Van der Poel as well. But I mean, yeah. those like steep finishes could really suit him. I just don't, I just can't imagine him like be like riding the Vuelta. It just doesn't like fit in my head. I don't know why. Man. It doesn't work. Van der Poel going to the Vuelta just doesn't work for some reason. I don't know why. Oh, but to be fair, if he goes there and wins a stage, then doesn't he? He finishes his trifecta, doesn't he? Yeah. So that is the sole reason that makes it bearable. Are you not surprised that he's not even doing like the first week of the tour and then just dropping out? Yeah. Well, I am a little bit. But then he did that in 2021 for the Olympics that year. And remember all the like sort of shtick he got there, like, uh, why were they racing one week? Uh. I think it, it probably would be cool if he did the first week. He has a good chance of like being right up there in the mix in the first couple stages. But um, yeah, I mean, it is disappointing. But for Albus and the Koenig as well, would you rather have Van der Poel be there for seven days? Or would you rather have a lead man who's going to be dedicated there for the three weeks for... Philipson. I mean, think of the just the publicity in the first week to be the world champion match at Tour de France. I mean, he would also be kind of killer on some of the first stages. Well, nah, he's not making that San Luca climb, is he? He ain't doing it. Nah, probably not. No, probably not. This will all be so hilarious once more if he just somehow if he flops the Olympics because that would be two Olympic cycles in a row that there's been like you know no prep for it and it's just not worked. We've made a video about about the pool going to the Olympics. He is, you know, for all intents and purposes, the favourites, let's say. You know, we are like literally seven months out, but provisionally he is sort of the favourite because of, you know, how good he is at executing on the big stage. Him and Van Aert missing out. Alaf I mean, Alaphilippe missing out is kind of losing against Grandiosa year on year. Van Aert and Van der Poel both missing from a tour does certainly detract from it a little bit. I've... I the year where I'm, I'm going to the tour this year, and this is the year they both choose not to go. I am insulted. But in the GC field, we are eating 
we are getting Roglic, we are getting Avonapol, we're getting Pogaccia, we're getting Vingo, we're getting yeah. Fashion Lassov supporting <laughs> Roglic. Why not, why not, why not <laughs> getting Adderbrooks? Uh, where is Adderbrooks? Adderbrooks is going to the GDR. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> He's not going to the top. No, no. Yeah, I did see earlier this week, but um, on Matteo Jorgensen's Instagram, that Ita Brooks had dropped Jonas Vingard, which technically means that Ita Brooks is now going to be Tour de France champion, undisputed, um, because he managed to drop Jonas Vingard in January, the most important of months to be in form as a road rider. We're sticking on the much vulnerable point here, missing out much vulnerable what went on at the Tour de France, the biggest rivalry in, in the sport, you have to say. I know Tad Bogaccia and Jonas Bingo, but I think that's the biggest one, you have to say, uh, considering the longevity that the, those two have had and the number of disciplines as well. But marketing-wise as well, this is terrible for the Tour. Yeah, but also we haven't really seen them duel at the Tour de France. We, we, we've, only, we've only seen it once in 2021. That was it. Well, you kind of you kind of saw it this last year as well with like the lead out. <laughs> he kind of like just sabotaged the Watmanard spread. A little bit, but then like I feel like 2022 we definitely didn't get it. And then in 2021 we got in that first week. That was really excellent to have it then, but we haven't really seen it in the Grand Tour setting. You know, it'll be cool if Van der Poel goes to the Giro and we see it there. That would be excellent, but we don't pull any bets out. And it's going to be welter of all places. Unbelievable. <laughs> Wout might be going to the Walter, so maybe we see that clash of the Walter Spaniard instead. They desperately need that marketing going into that race. Yeah. All jokes aside, I am happier that we're going to see, in theory, a kind of fully prepared Van der Poel versus Van Aert at the Olympics than a fully prepared Van Aert and Van der Poel head-to-head on some null-stage gravel in stage seven or whatever the heck it is, when nothing is going to happen and people are like hyping up their ability because they're saying across riders, like their battle in the tour would probably not, is not going to be, or doesn't have a potential to be anywhere near as legendary as this Olympic battle. So I would rather it be this way around. Completely agree. But I just think it's weird that they're not just doing, not well, because he's doing the Giro, but he's not just not doing the first week, like you and said, like similar to 2021. Maybe he's thinking, oh, I did that back then and suddenly there was a ramp and i crashed it's the olympic games it's the biggest sporting event in the world that transcends all sort of boundaries but like all these guys putting so much emphasis on the olympic games and sort of cutting out these other things in the season it is a bit underwhelming for us do they really care about it that much but yeah i mean winning an olympic gold is bigger than winning a tour de france stage like being an olympic champion is almost as good as being tour de france champion. is it there do you think yeah. so yeah. Yeah, 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 because the Olympic Games transcends Tour de France, I think. So, every 2008, Samuel Sanchez won the Olympics. Nobody really knows who he is anymore. Oh, no. Who won the Tour de France in 2008? Uh, Sastra. Ah, that took you too long. <laughs> it took you too long. But no, just, what this There's a lot of Olympic events or Olympic sports that shouldn't have it. Football, tennis, cycling. I think track cycling, yes. But, yeah, and it just feels a bit weird. I think that should be a crit Olympic event. I think that would be much better. Have a crit, a road race. And the team time trial. And a hill, and a hill climb. Yeah, actually. Three road cycling events. And I think that would absolutely slap. 
do you think there is also like i mean i said this in the podcast a couple months back but an olympic stage race where you have like yes. four stages a bit like the old criteria international we have like one marathon stage one flat stage one hilly stage one time trial boom you find out who the best stage racer is but you're right because they have all like the decathlon heptathlon all those kind of things so why not hello thomas bach head of the international olympic committee hello david avaltio on the other phone not everybody can win olympic gold it's going to be Christophe Laporte or someone else. It's going to be someone rogue that we're not even thinking about. Pearson. I mean, yeah. people we consider in Pearson, but like, it won't be. It won't be so. It won't be these guys who are purely targeting it. Surely, are you seeing it on that post Grand Tour form? Even look at the 2021 standings. All three guys were on who were on the podium. Wow, Pogacar, Carapaz, all rode the Tour de France. All were very involved in that Tour de France. Carapaz, Pogacar in the final podium. Wow, won two stages in the final week of racing and they lined up up, up, up up the podium and the guys who missed it to sort of target it even like looking at a time trial Pippo Gano who missed out that to purely target the Olympic Games didn't go to the Tour de France they didn't meet the mark it was the guys who did the Tour de France had that form who went into it who performed really well even looking at the World Championships in 2023 in Glasgow the riders who were right up there in, in the mix all were, were pretty influential in the Tour de France it was a lot you're saying Christophe Laporte yeah, exactly. And somebody else is going to be winning. Neil Nielsen Powers. Nielsen Powers. No, I, I think Ewan makes a good point as well with that. But yeah, you know what? We're not on much one for on the podium. That's the story. Anyways, we might as well come with a quite weird story that Ewan sent me and Patrick also discovered. <laughs> While Bernard and the Prime Minister of the UK have a mutual friend. I mean, you know, you what is this? You say mutual friend. They have an unlikely connection. The Financial Times, yes, the Financial Times, um, published an article about um, Isaac Levido, who is going to be the campaign manager for Rishi Sunak, the Conservative Prime Minister currently in the United Kingdom, who is looking to contend an election within the next 12 months. We don't know when. Anywhere between May and October. Could be later than that. Um, but uh, the campaign manager is obsessed with Wild Van Aert. The, the article describes him labeled as a beast. Quote, Van Aert is a race winner in his own right, but in the Tour de France, he acts as a domestique deluxe, half killing himself to protect his leaders and drag the team through the mountains. The Australian political strategist expects similar Tory discipline and graft as he tries to get Sunak over the line. Yes, the Financial Times has likened uh, Rishi Sunak's campaign manager as um, as Wabanat, and Rishi Sunak, in this case, would be Jonas Vingegaard. A very interesting comparison. I did not expect to be uh, seeing my academic background in political science having a, 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 link, to, uh, a link to cycling today, but... Yeah, also just FT, Financial Times, a very, very respected, like, highbrow broadsheet. Publishing an article to describe about that as a beast is also just, like, memeable in its own right. How did this come up? How did, um, like, of, 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 like, all the, like, things and tidbits they could have got from this campaign manager, they were like, oh, yes, the fact that he's into Wout Van Aert, that's, that's really important because we're going to make him, him out to be this big domestique. But... It's going to be an uphill struggle. Uh, Rishi Sunak is not polling very well. The Conservative Party are in a, a pretty bad position right now. The Labour Party, the, the left-wing opposition in the United Kingdom currently, look to be on track to win an election, which may come in the next year. So um, maybe this is all a metaphor for 
No, don't say it. No, Jonas is saying that he's not like Richie. Wait, wait, wait. Is this Jonas? Yes, Patrick. This article does allude to a tie between Jonas Van Gogh and Rishi Sunak. Metaphorically. Mm. Brilliant. Are they the same height? How tall is Vingo? I think Vingo is taller than Rishi Sunak, and he definitely can pedal harder than Rishi. Does that make UAE team Emirates? The Labour. The Labour Party. <laughs> so Keir Starmer is title for gadget. Yeah. I got a second. Can you imagine doing a video about trying to draw political like like the likes? I just think this is so I have weird. a Twitter thread on this. Back of course you do. Of course you do. In the in the comment section down below. I um I think I described Keir Starmer as Jai Hindley, I think. What? <laughs> so Ewan is derailing this. Although I said I said Rockledge was Keir Starmer. Um they both love the colour red. People are always rooting for them, even if the odds are stacked against them. And they both had a successful life before politics and cycling. I'll deny it. I'll deny it. But it's right it's right there. <laughs> Barack Obama was Remco Evenable in this thread as well. <laughs> Hard throb status. Scott, please, please save, save where we are. I love this podcast. Yeah, certainly. Yeah, apologies to all our viewers and listeners. Ewan is totally, I think he's dehydrated after that three hour ride or drive, not ride. The only thing I like about this is that we've, we've had a Rishi Sunak and Wabanat mentioned in the same. Yeah, like you even said, by the Financial Times is so weird. Like, what is happening right now? I just, like, I would just imagine, like, a Sunday ride with Wild Art and Richie. Yeah, I don't mm -hmm. think that's happening. Well, or Richie turning up to a Cyclone Cross race. Well, you say that. Richie Sunak is a big fan of his Peloton machine. Of course he is. Not a real bike. <laughs> it's not It's not a real bike. He should go outside. Uh, but for security reasons, that's probably quite difficult. I mean, you and we went into a Peloton shop <laughs> to see it and how expensive they actually are. They're more expensive than a real bike. Well, Rishi Sunak is married to one of the richest people in India. He's married into the InfoScience dynasty. <laughs> Rishi Sunak, like, is incredibly rich. So this all makes sense. But he is a big fan of his Peloton and eating Greek yogurt. So I can expect to see him on, on a little ride. I can see Richie Sunak head to toe in Lycra, riding with the Vismalisa bike boys. So we could to see like an Indian back pro cycling team. Oh, they desperately need that. Like India, China, what are you doing in cycling? Okay, we've got the China glory team, but we haven't got an Indian team. There's actually a rider from India called David Beckham. Sign him up. Track rider, I think he is. Lucky though, for, for like the media attention you would get from having an Indian rider a and having a man like a writer called David Beckham on your team, yeah, that's enough for a team like RKS Samsung or maybe like the Bass team or Twitter team team. Sign up Indian David Beckham and make it into a meme that could go viral on Twitter. It could transcend the cycling borders, much like the Olympic Games does. And you could have articles written in like the Sun, in the Washington Post, TMZ, all about Indian David Beckham. Can you imagine? And would an Indian pro cycle like World Tour team, would it be a bit like UAE where they have one rider from their home nationality and they just like still claim it, but they're the national champ, so it's fine. I mean, Israel's the same. Israel's the yeah, same. Yeah, they have like exactly. two, three riders and then they never really line them up for any of the Grand Tours, really. Bahrain as well. And no, we have an Uzbek team in the women's peloton. Speaking of which, 
It was Edgar Bernal's 27th birthday this week. What? I believe that man's 27. No. Isn't he just perpetually 23? Yes. 27. Isn't it crazy how time flies? What, what, what has happened? I just keep on thinking when he's 23 and like or, or where he started like just dropping off just doesn't exist and he's just like we're frozen in time and I'm waiting for Bernal to make his comeback from 2019 total and like just continue it. You went from 23 to 27. <laughs> you know legit. Rich people can get frozen. I like this happens to Mr. Burns in The Simpsons. Like you can get like frozen, put in like one of those things and you get like defrosted so that you never die. Did Hat Solo do that? I think so. I don't know. <laughs> this is the weirdest podcast we've ever done. If we Aiken Bernal was put in a freezer. He was he was frozen in two thousand twenty on the Grand Colombier. And actually he was defrosted for a little bit. They let him out to like they like defrosted him. They thought they were gonna eat him for dinner that night at the Giro in twenty twenty one. And then they put him back in the freezer and didn't touch him for a couple of years. And he's still 24. I mean, how do you actually think, Egon Bernal, if you didn't have that crash in Colombia in 2022, how do you think you would actually have fared against Jonas Bingor? Or where would he be in the hierarchy? Would he be top five? Podium? I don't know. I think he would be losing. Yeah, but where would he be? Top five? Is he he's better than... Five. Would he be better than Remco? Roglic? Um, I think he would be on a similar level to Remco, but he just doesn't have the TT ability. Facts. I don't know. He can't compete against Tade and Jonas in the TT. He just can't. He'd be losing two minutes. That's true. That's true. I don't, I don't know. I was so hot on Bernal back in 20, like, 2020, 2019. But he was shoved in that He was against Daniel Okozo. Yeah, he's now. Well, he's actually in his physical peak. So when he's 27, he should really be reaching his physical peak. But I think we've seen the best of Egan Bernal. And then. Approximately five years' time, the Cycling Dane will release a video of WTF having to Egan Bernal. There's one already. Before he was even 27, that man, you've already put him in the grave. Like, he doesn't exist anymore. He, like, what, what the F has happened to him? Those going back, no matter how stupid of a designed helmet cast aside to release to cover the ear tips of riders, who the hell decided that? Real. Also, he's got scoliosis. I don't think he's coming back. How can he be a professional rider like at the top level with scoliosis? Is it aero? Does it I mean, bend you into an aero position? Anyway, is he like a hunchback of Notre Dame? When did he start getting it? How, did he have it? He found out he had it after the Tour de France in 2020. But he still won the Giro. Yeah, so that's pretty impressive. But then, but then he got hit by a truck. No uh, bus. Yeah. Bus. And I think he rode. He, he rode into the bus. And uh, after having been to Colombia, that it was a bus is quite weird because considering how many motorbikes that just don't obey the laws there, I'm surprised there wasn't a motorbike. Don't gaslight him. Don't gaslight again. <laughs> I'm... Anyways, this has been very... It's like the first 50 were normal. The first 50 episodes are very normal. Now it's the second 50 of the 100 target. And now we're just going off hinge. But anyway... <laughs> Rider of the week. <laughs> let's, oh, right. It's, let's, let's try getting... Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, is there something else? The big four have announced their schedules for the year. So the big four are Remco Evenepoel, Jonas Nenko, Tadej Pogacar, and Primo Roglic. They've all announced officially this week, although we knew before, they've all announced officially that they are going to the Tour de France. And we have uh, the first glimpse is of their schedule. 
So, first up, Tadej Bogacar. He'll be going to Stradivari, Milan, San Remo, the Volta Catalunya, it's a new one unlocked, Liège, Baston, Liège, and the Gidon before going to the Tour de France. Jonas Vingo will be starting the year off at the Grand Camino. Round of applause. And then Tirana Adriatico, the absolutely best country that the Christian to definitely in the June time before going to the Tour de France. Rimka Aethnopol has a busy, busy schedule. He's going to this uh, new Portuguese classic, which many riders seem to be going to uh, on February 10th. And then he's going to the Tour of Algarve, Harry Nice, Basque Country, Amstel Gold, Flechwoodan, Liège, Baston Liège, and the Criteria de Dauphiné. Very, very busy schedule. He is the busiest of all of these guys coming into the Tour de France. Primoz Roglic has a pretty bad schedule right now. It's not confirmed whether he'll go to Paris Nice or Tirreno. It will be one of them. There's also a probable inclusion of the Itzulia Basque Country before going to the Criteria de Dauphiné in the June time. There we go. It's good. So, it's I'm quite disappointed about um, Roglic because he said he was at one point he was going to go to the Tour de Suisse because he wanted to complete the one-week uh, stage races. But well, you can't win the Tour de Suisse if you're in Criteria de Dauphiné. Facts. Also, I think Tour de Suisse so doesn't have a great conversion rate, but the Tour de France. Wait, are you saying in the Tour de Suisse winners don't win the Tour? Say that to Edgar Bernal in 2019. Oh, that was both. No, that was a, that's a good part. Finish my point, Scott. <laughs> um, it sounds like like the the the, the Dauphiné is more of a I would say a more like Tour de France ready competition, and we've seen over the past couple of years that even the past ten years that the Dauphiné is being quite a good sort of precursor to the Tour de France, and also given that it's going to have Avonapol and Vingegaard this year. You would say it's probably more important to be there than um, British Swiss. I'm trying to think about whose schedule I kind of like best. Well, obviously Jonas, because he's kind of good about Camino. That's clearly, clearly the best preparation of all. There's quite a lot of overalls, though. That's country, Jonas and Roglic are going there. Was April going there? Basically, there seems to be like a couple of a few. Of, yeah, there's going to be a couple of races where you're going to see like two or three of these guys go head-to-head before the race, which is going to be great for us. No one-day races for Bingo. I mean, Remco oh. doing the triple, like uh, Amstel Gold, Sechelon, and Liege, Boston, Liege. Well, no, Remco and Poggy not doing... Oh, Poggy isn't... Poggy, 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 Poggy. Poggy's not doing flesh. That might change. He did win it last year. But doing one-day races is actually, like, I would say, a really ineffective way of tuning up. I know it's great for us, but... You're, yeah. you're trying to go for a, for, for, for a stage race that you have multiple days of racing and you travel to the race. You get five days, constant racing, six days, seven days, whatever. For a one-day race, you go, you do that one race, and that's it. And it's also a more high-risk scenario as well, probably because it's like a higher pace and stuff. We see it often the class, at the classics, there are big crashes. Pogaccia last year at Liège is a perfect example. Um, so it is a more ineffective way of tuning up Although it is like way more exciting for us to see them clash there. Um, if these guys want to win the Tour de France, I understand completely why Vingegaard is not doing any one-day races. He doesn't need to. Avonapol and Pogacar are slightly different, you know. But Roglic not doing them is a little bit upsetting because I think he's quite interesting in one-day races, but he's like been he shoved those aside over the past like two years. Yeah, just uh, what's happened to it? What, what have I done to him? That just we've ruined him. We were hoping for the Roglic. Pogaccia and Remco battle at Liège, but I mean, Pogaccia Remco is still pretty good if we actually get it this year. 
no for a pothole dug by Patrick Lefebvre, as you said. Exactly. Yes. I, I still stand by my conspiracy theory that Patrick Lefebvre dug that pothole for Pikachu to crash into. I guarantee it happened. I don't think it's beyond Lefebvre's abilities to do something sketchy like that. I mean, I guess Robert just going with the approach of kind of what Jonas has done in years gone by, which is that like almost less is better. Just kind of keep yourself shrouded away so nobody really knows how you're doing. And then just kind of leave it until the last minute, which is okay. But don't so well, He didn't leave it. He won. He was up there in Paris Nice. Best ever Dane to finish on the podium. Then he won the Tour of Basque Country. And then he won the Criterion Madrid Opener. He wasn't hiding anywhere. And he won the Grand Camino. So he wasn't hiding. No, no, no that's just, there's, there's reasons for all of this. He, he, was, he was bluffing. At Paris because he actually came third, so everybody was like, "He's washed. He's there's no way he's winning at all." Everybody, we were all saying that. I remember. Well, David Goodu was going to finish on the podium. Yeah, that's good tree. There was there was no over of a Galacticos down, so it was a walkover anyway. He was up against Sergio Ediza, like on Lando. <laughs> like come on, like if that was a walkover, and then what was the one after that? Dauphiné. Who who was at the Dauphiné last year? Adam Yates. Adam Yates. Exactly. So the competition won't know. Adam Yates finished on the podium at the Tour de France. Exactly, but how many minutes down, Scott? <laughs> the law. Basically, but my point is, Roglic hopefully won't crash. And he'll go to the store and he'll be fine. End of. Then. Roglic's schedule is like, probably the most boring, but... Um, and the most excited for it because I think Bora actually will be a really good team this year. Their Tour de France squad that they've like kind of hinted at it includes Jai Hinley, Sasha Vlasov, Danny Martinez, uh, Sombrero, Kemna, uh, Nico Dens, and Danny Van Poppel. That's like a disgustingly good team and it's very all round. And like a lot of like the interviews and the press sort of stuff that they've been giving out this week, they're so focused on this goal. Like, They've been saying that we've been waiting for a legitimate chance to win the Tour de France for years. Now we finally have it and we, we're going to do everything we can to win. Uh, we need to disrupt Yumbo. We need to be chaotic. Um, that's the way Yumbo will, will be distracted. Yumbo so don't exist anymore. Sorry, Bisma. Bisma leads the bike. Stupid name. Um, but I think I think it's going to be really interesting to see how Roglic goes. And the Dauphiné will be a good chance to see that. Although... I reckon we might see this Melissa by just be sort of like copy paste and destroy every stage race that Vigo enters before the Tour de France, where Bora will release their tunnel of chaos, as they called it, uh, during the week. That's quite interesting, Jad Hindley going to the tour, because we were discussing maybe that he was going to go to the Giro. So, Blauto, Giro d'Italia champion 2024. Oh, wait, second place finisher to Tabugatta. No, Blauto's going to the Tour de France. Oh, okay. It's, it's Hindley, Vlasov, and Martinez. Oh, shoot. I didn't. That's like their three big guys. Buchmann not going is kind of interesting. Buchmann is rumored to the Giro. Um, okay. Uh, yeah. Been not great. I, okay. That's a very good team then. It's a really, really good team. Also, Matteo Sobrero, super excited to see what he's going to bring. He could be a really, really interesting rider this year. Hemna, we know from the Giro a couple of years back, was really, really, really strong there. And then you've got Nico Dens as well as a like good sort of all round engine. We saw how he sort of came of age um, in 2023. So this Tour de France team, for me, is looking super exciting. And for Roglic to experiment with them during this um, during the season will be 
super interesting. For instance, Roglic and Vlasov will collaborate at Paris to begin with. I would honestly say that this Bora team is stronger than this Melissa Black team. Agreed. If think about it, if you put hypothetically, just imagine all those Bora jerseys are instead just like the Vismalisa bike team. All of a sudden, it's the best team in the world. But for some reason, it's Bora who are a little bit kind of haven't been the biggest players in GC, but they're kind of coming in as underdogs. But this is an absolute killer team. And I personally think if they, alongside the chaos of UAE team Emirates, gang up on Vismalisa bike, we are going to defeat Jonas. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm saying this is if we need, we need to defeat him. But he will be toppled and he will not win for a third time in a row. It will be like when... Oh. It will be like when the army of the dead and the riders of... Um, and the riders of Gondor, like, where they convened oh. together in Lord of the Rings and took on the orcs. The orcs being Vismalisa bike. Um, and Gondor has called for aid and they've all convened together. Um, Lord of the Rings fans will get that, it's fine. Riders of Rohan, that's it. Riders of Rohan will be Bora. Um, UE is the army of the dead. And the orcs are Vismalee's are bike. There you go. Guys, why why are you making me the normal one this this episode? Thanks we're for that. Feeling, we were, listen, Scott, we can't hide our true colours for all this time. People have got to know. The, the Scottish air and the Lake District air is bad for both of you. That's what we found out. It's making us delusional. We're losing our minds. The help is here in the form of the writer of the week. Condor <laughs> calls for aid. Sorry, I'll stop being all the rings, Ned. Um, I will. I will go first. My rider of the week is Nienke Vinker, who finished second in the women's tour down under. Somebody who I'd never even mm. clocked before. But she finished, in fact, she finished second ahead of like some helicopter right of her DSM, Femenic, Post, NL. Considering that I didn't know her before today, and now she finished second, I uh, I think that's pretty impressive. So I think that's a pretty well deserved under radar ride of the week. Yeah, there's a couple of like really impressive rides in top 10 at uh, the Tour de Nanda. I'm going to go for Nidhi Bradbury, who finished in third place. She is 21 years of age, born in April 2002, uh, and she finished in third place overall that race. It's also a really good performance from Dominika Rodajek from Poland, with an incredibly difficult surname to pronounce with an awful lot of consonants. Um... Two really, really good rides, but Bradbury for me has to be the, the ride of the week. And also that Canyon Stram kit this year, it's good. So, yeah, it is. It's really, really nice. That's very true. I'm so, Scott, who who do you want to pick? I mean, we didn't actually talk about the European Championships on the track, which we probably um, should have. Because, uh, I mean, the DB team actually won. They beat the Danes, unfortunately, in the final. And also a friend of, well, not the echelon, <laughs> the cycling Dane, Dan Bigham became a European champion, both in the team pursuit and the individual pursuit, defeating uh, his teammate Charlie Tanfield in the final. So he is my ride of the week because he's a double European champion. But I could have ch- uh, picked Aaron Gate as well, who has also been on the track quite a lot, but he won the New Zealand Classic. And for whatever reason, he's not on the World Tour and never has been. He's kind of been floating in the Pro Continental. But Dan Bigham is my ride of the week. Also, oh, okay. no, from the Europeans, lots of Kopecky won two titles in the space of one hour. Really? She's a machine. Wow. Yeah. Which titles? 
Um, you're asking too many questions now. <laughs> we'll, we'll just bet uh, she won the, uh, oh, no, the scratch race. What could you win in the space of an hour? As, uh, you could round off the Omnium and then do another event. So you could win the Omnium and then do like an individual event. Because, yeah. Yeah. But then in the actual World Championship, she won a track title and a road title within the space of 24 hours. She was ridiculous. Mad. Mad. But she didn't get a, a, a right of the week from either of you two. Oh, no. that's just... she, she's not 21. It's not 21. She's not some unknown DSM feminine poster. Yeah, she's very known. Anyways, that's it to this very chaotic episode of the Echelon Cycling Podcast. As always, make sure to get involved in the comments down below. If you're watching on YouTube, check us out on Spotify as well. And if you haven't already, make sure to follow everyone over on Twitter as well. All the Twitter accounts will be in the description down below. And that's basically it for us. So thank you very much for watching, listening, and we will see you in the next one.